Um, this morning, if you look in your bulletin there, you'll see a bunch of scripture. Uh, we're actually only going to read verses 22 to 26. But as you'll see, um, each of the stories that are around this text, 22 to 26, I'm talking about, I think actually verses 22 to 26 sort of are explaining what it really means to have true sight, even though everybody's trying to understand and see who Jesus is. So we're going to get started here. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, um, you know, in this text, there are, there are multiple examples of lots and lots of people who are trying to understand who Jesus is. And I think that's a pretty important question for us, for those of us who are sitting here on Sunday morning at Grace Presbyterian Church. What does it mean to really see Jesus? You know, what does it mean to know him? What does it mean to understand him? What does it mean for you to be able to assess where am I in my journey of faith in being able to see who Jesus is? Um, you know, for me, if you know me very well, I've got this condition called keratoconus. I can't see really well without really special lenses. And I went to my doctor a couple weeks ago. And um, for me, they have to, like, measure all the different angles of my cornea. And then they have to design these contact lenses that fit just perfectly to, to lay over it. And I go through, like, five or six different things where they analyze houses retina. How's his cornea? How's the blood flow? Like all these different things. And then he tweaks my vision and I can see a little better, you know, each time. And it's really great. But can you imagine if I went to see my eye doctor who's this expert and who I love and who's so competent and I trust him. But just for a moment, imagine I walked in and I said, okay, I can see the instruments. Now let me go ahead and check myself out. Like here, okay, put my eye on this thing. Okay, that's that. Checking the pressure. We're good there. I went through the whole thing and then I was doing it all myself and I didn't want any help. Essentially what I'd be saying is this. I know that I can find out how to fix my eyes in this place, but I want to do it on my terms. I want to be able to see on my terms. That's how I'm going to be able to see. I'm going to adjust my, adjust my prescription. I'm going to decide if my eyes are in good condition. I am going to take these instruments that I know can tell me my eyes are okay and decide what I need to do. And a lot of times people approach Jesus like that and they approach the scriptures like that. They say, okay, you can find out who God is in the scriptures, fine. But I'm going to put my lens to determine what I'm going to see in Jesus. And, and a lot of people in, this, in the stories we're reading here in Mark chapter 8 are doing that. They're saying, okay, if you're who you say you are, if you're God, if you're Jesus, then this is how you're supposed to look. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. And people ask that question today, you know, if God is good, then how come this? If Jesus wants me to trust him, then I need him to do this. Well, you're in the right place because Mark 8 is all about that. The idea of what does it mean to really see Jesus and to understand him. So, to kind of get us started, what I want to do is look at kind of the text around verses 22-26 and then dive right in there. So, in chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus feeds the 4,000, all right? And people are hungry. They've been with him for three days. They're running out of food. You know, their backpacks and camels and donkeys and whatever just couldn't carry enough. So it's been three days, and apparently Jesus has been on a roll because they're all there in the thousands to hear what he has to say. And the disciples say, hey, they're getting hungry. 
and we've got seven loaves of bread, so this is not going to work. Can you please send them home? That's a pragmatic response to the reality they're in. Send them home. That's how we can fix this. And Jesus says, why don't you bring your bread to me? And he gives thanks for it. And then they bring him some fish, and he gives thanks for it. And then not only are they able to feed the thousands of people there, but they have seven baskets left over. Do the math. It doesn't make sense. They give to Jesus what they have. They think they know what Jesus can do and what he's supposed to do and how he's going to act. He says, just give it to me. Let me give thanks, and I'll take care of it. He's showing up as the Messiah in this moment. And they have seven baskets left over. The people are wanting to see who Jesus is. They, they're amazed by this. The disciples are wanting to see who Jesus is. They're watching. And we see here, as we'll go on later, they still don't get it. Very similar to what's happened so far in the Gospel of Mark. Then we come to verse 11. And the Pharisees come down. And they begin to question Jesus. They say, hey, you're making quite a ruckus here. People are super impressed with who you are. And we have determined that if you can do certain signs, we will also believe who you are. What's Jesus' response to that? Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. So they're asking Jesus to prove to them that he's who he says he is, even though they just witnessed him doing this incredible miracle. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. Let me kind of give you an example of what that'd be like. It'd be like someone standing up at this room right now and saying, Brad, can you please prove to me that you're the pastor of grace and you're preaching? I'd be like, uh, open your eyes. Like, here it is. And what the Pharisees are doing is they have mainstream ways of determining if God is who he says he is, if a prophet is who he says he is. Because you know what happens to a prophet if they claim to be a prophet and they're not? You don't get a do-over. You get stoned to death. That's it. So they're asking them a question. Hey, we want you to prove to us that you're who you say you are. And Jesus goes, no. You will accept me on my terms. I'm not going to be the God that's small enough to answer on your terms to prove if I'm who's, who I say I am. I'm not going to give you that kind of sign. Not this generation. He's not condemning a generation. He's condemning the way in which people have decided they're going to approach God. And Jesus says, you need to rethink it. You need to check yourself. You're going to approach me like I reveal myself because I am the Messiah. So the people want to see who Jesus is. The disciples are trying to figure out who Jesus is. The Pharisees are trying to figure out who Jesus is. Then the disciples get into a boat and they cross the other side. And what's the first thing we read there in verse 14? The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. How do you forget bread? I guess they ate a bunch. I mean, they did have seven baskets left over, right? So they get in the boat. There's only one loaf in the bread. Now, this is kind of a veiled thing in some ways. But there is only one bread of life in that boat with them. Are you kind of seeing what Mark's doing here? There's only one loaf there, and they're anxious that it's not enough. And Jesus says to them, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Again, going back to the idea, be careful to assume that there are problems bigger than what I can handle. Be careful to assume that I don't have you right where I want you. Be careful to make the same assumption that the Pharisees and Herod made. Everybody's trying to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus says, do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? It's interesting. Jesus is actually calling them to the spiritual practice that all of us should take part in, which is the spiritual practice of remembering. Do you know how you're supposed to assess if God's at work in the moment? It is not just based on whatever you can surmise. It's actually based on God's promises from the past. You know, we remember what God has done and we say, okay, God, you are faithful. The scriptures say you're always just, you're always gracious, you're always compassionate, you're always with us, you're always who you say you are, and I'm super confused about what's happening right now. 
I'm going to remember who you are. Jesus is saying, don't you remember? You're wondering where you're going to get bread. Don't you remember Mark chapter 6 where I fed 5,000 people and there were 12 baskets left over? Don't you remember just a little earlier in Mark 8 where I fed the 4,000 people and you didn't know how we were going to figure it out and the bread of life showed up and there was so much bread, there were seven baskets left over? Don't you remember? That is such an important thing for us as we seek to understand who God is, to see Jesus, to grow in grace, to remember what he said. That's why we read the scriptures every week at Grace. You'll never get over this because it's the word of God. God has wisdom for us. He has direction for us. If you want to see who Jesus is, you don't have to take my word for it. The scriptures are here for us to direct us, to guide us, so that we can see him. And then we come to verse 22. And there's this whole story about this blind man in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. What is it that Jesus is wanting them to see? See if you can pick up on it from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is it Jesus is wanting them to see? He's wanting them to see that he is actually the Christ, that he is the king of creation, that he himself is the bread of life. They are so longing to access. Then we come to verse 22. They come to Bethsaida. Some people bring a blind man to Jesus. They want to touch him because they've heard about stories of people just touching Jesus and being healed. So they just want to touch him. Their friend is blind. And Jesus says, come with me. He takes the man by the hand as we read there in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Jesus takes the blind man by the hand and leads him out of the village. And then when they get out of the village, Jesus spits on his eyes, super weird, you know, touches him and says, can you see yet? And the man opens his eyes and he says, well, I can see, but I see trees like it's blurry. And so Jesus does it again. He does another miracle. He heals him. He says, open your eyes now. And then what do we read? He could see everything clearly. What is going on with this? Someone is finally able to see what is taking place. Well, I want to submit to you that in this encounter that this man has with Jesus, there are four distinct invitations into a relationship with Jesus that this man encounters. Four opportunities for him to engage in being in relationship with Jesus. The first is, is he comes to touch him, right? The man comes, he's heard great things about Jesus. Remember, he just gave 4,000 people bread. The word is spreading. He's like, okay, I'm blind. Maybe if I touch him, I can be healed. And so the man comes and he touches, he touches Jesus. In that moment, he's not healed. But what's happened? He's been invited to come and see who this Christ is. And he comes and Jesus says, come with me out, into the vi- out of the village. So the man follows Jesus out of the village, and that right there is an act of faith. It's an invitation to come with him out of the village. I mean, he could have said, look, we touched him. It didn't work. Now he wants to go into a secret place. Like, this is clearly not real. It's a fraud. But what does he do? He goes with him. And then what happens? Jesus, tries, Jesus attempts to heal him, and he opens his eyes, and he sees trees. Then he does it again, and then he can see clearly. What's going on there? Is it like the potency of Jesus' like miracle power didn't work entirely and so he couldn't quite see? That's one interpretation, I guess. But another is this. Jesus is inviting him on a journey of faith to come and see him, to go out of the village with him, to begin to experience his healing and continue in faith to where he closes his eyes again and he opens them and he can see clearly. You know, it's, 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 the, rea- it's the difference between really seeing who Jesus is and just observing him. 
You know, if you, are you going to watch the Super Bowl today? Some of you don't care. Some of you are going to watch it. Some of you are going to watch a lot of it. I want to see the commercials. That's kind of like one of the most exciting things to me about Super Bowl. You've got kind of these two great quarterbacks. It's going to be amazing. But there's a difference between, like, watching the Super Bowl and really understanding what's happening in the Super Bowl, right? I've got a friend. He knows all the stats. He knows the weight of the players. He knows where they went to college. He even knows that the weather was – he even knew what the weather was going to be like today, several days ago, because he's thinking about the Super Bowl. Like, trust me, he's going to watch the Super Bowl in an entirely different way than I am. He's not just going to observe it like me, casually, wondering how much much queso am I going to eat or, you know, am I going to do this, whatever. He's actually – really seeing what's happening. And this man goes from being blind and only seeing darkness to actually seeing Jesus himself. This man is being invited into a relationship of following Jesus, of trusting Jesus, of going on this journey with him. And what's Jesus' response to him every single time? Kind, merciful, gracious, patient, No matter where he is in the journey, Jesus is inviting him along. Jesus could have just said when he saw him approaching him, be healed. And that could have been it. And that dude would have been super, super grateful, right? He could have said, oh, you know what? You've touched me. You've come. You've expressed faith. That's going to heal you. No. Jesus wants more. He wants more than this man just to be healed of an immediate problem he's experiencing. He wants him to actually have relationship with him. He invites him out of the village. He then heals him, and then he heals him thoroughly and all so he can see Jesus. If you just think about this, the first thing this man saw when he opened his eyes was what? The very face of the Messiah. That's the first thing his redeemed and renewed and restored eyes were able to behold was the face of the one who's able to actually heal him. Jesus wanted more for him than just a quick healing. He wanted a relationship with him. And then he tells the man to go home. You know, not, not come with me, not drop everything and join my disciple crew here. He doesn't say, go into all the villages and tell everyone about it. In fact, he says, don't tell anybody because Jesus knows his father has timing and it's not going to be up to this man's excitement. He really, it's about what the father's plan. He says, don't tell anybody, go to your home. Now, there couldn't have been a better, like, example, right, of a guy that Jesus could have said, hey, this guy couldn't see, I made him see, why don't you believe That's not the thing that Jesus knows is going to really invite someone into relationship. For this man, he had been healed, and Jesus wanted this man's home and this place to experience the presence of Christ there, kind of like us in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our church, that we would be people who taste and see that Jesus is good, that we would have a relationship with him, and it would spill over into all the other areas that God has us placed in. If you want to know what God cares about in this world, in particular with you, It's wherever you are. That's the place where he wants the message of who he is to enter into. I remember when my kids were young, a pastor telling me, you know, Brad, I know you're into discipleship. I know you want to train these students because I had done student ministry. He goes, you need to really make sure you're taking care of those disciples in your household first. Make sure you're making time for them. Make sure you're praying for them. Make sure you're reminding them of the scriptures. Make sure that you're exhibiting what it means to love well by the way in which you live among them, referring to my children. God invites us to be part of his mission through relationship to understand and see that he is the Messiah. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? It means he's the deliverer. It means he's the restorer. It means he's the healer, that he's the sustainer. 
that he's the one who moves us toward peace, that he is actually able to feed our soul's deepest needs. Just go back to the bread illustri- you know, the bread metaphor that's been going on in the scriptures here. There are multiple examples of bread, aren't there? In the beginning of verse 8, there are thousands who need the bread of life. With the Pharisees, they want to understand who this bread of life is. The disciples have only one loaf, and that one loaf doesn't seem to be enough because they're missing the reality that Christ is the only one they need. And then this blind man, invited into a relationship to experience and see who Jesus is, not with an instantaneous sort of thing, but actually invited into a relationship where he sees the face of Jesus. Now, everybody in this room is in, is in one of these four stages. Everybody. You're either someone who's here because you've been forced to come here, or maybe you're sort of interested in who Jesus is, and so you've come to see who, who he is and what he's about. And that's the right thing to do. The scriptures say that his scripture is living and breathing. We read the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of God's people, moves in us, and actually there's a spiritual reality of even now the Holy Spirit taking the words from the scriptures and applying them to our hearts. And so for some, they come to see Jesus. Is that where you are? If so, God's response to you is a lot of patience and grace. For others, you're starting to follow Jesus. You know, maybe you're coming to church two and four times a month, right? You're coming like almost regularly. You're a regular attender at this point. You're someone who's beginning to follow, but you haven't quite experienced who it is that Jesus is like this man who's following Jesus out. Jesus has patient grace for you. He welcomes you into his presence. Or maybe you're someone who's seeing a little bit of Jesus. You know, this past week, I spent some time with some friends. They had us over for dinner in their house. And um, Jamie and I pull up in the driveway, and their children are like waiting in the window to receive us. I was like, oh, my goodness. So we pull up, and we go inside, and they both are so excited to show us their little journals and the things they've been doing in school. And, you know, one of them had this cool green dinosaur that he jumped on and then fell off of. And then I picked him up because I was afraid he was broken. And his parents were like, he's fine. He was fine. But I was scared in the experience. Um, And we had this really, really sweet time together. For children who grow up in this church, at some point, you begin to see a little bit about who Jesus is. You've heard about him. You know, you've begun to follow him. You've been, your parents have been forcing you to Sunday school and things. And, you know, maybe you've been in different events. But eventually, a child goes from being a child who's here because their parents asked them to be here to a child who says, you know what? I think I might want to follow this Jesus. I think he might be who he says he is. And I don't know everything but I think I want to. And what we do in this church is at that point, we invite kids to start celebrating communion. Because when we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we're saying, we follow Jesus. We are his disciples. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And I want to live into following him. But the good news is, is that God's grace for us is sufficient for each and every person in this room. What does it mean to have a faith that's ready to be a part of Jesus' kingdom? Well, it's a faith commensurate with age. You know, from a seven-year-old, we expect a seven-year-old's faith. From a 70-year-old, we expect a 70-year-old's faith. Like, God has this invitation extended to us. It says, if you want to see me, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, simply come and follow and want to see a little. And what he does in that moment is he continues to work in us and draw us and enables us to actually see him for who he is. It's a pretty crazy thing when you think about what it is, what it means for us to trust in Jesus. You know, pretty much no credible historian denies that the person Jesus existed. Pretty much no one. It's like a reality that there was a human named Jesus who walked the face of the earth, and you have to do, you have to do business with what you think about his life and his ministry. And the scriptures are given to us so we can know what he was all about. 
And you begin to see who he is. The more you read his scriptures, the more the Spirit opens your heart to who he is, and you begin to be drawn toward him. But here's the great news, is that eventually you begin to see him clearly. Now, nobody sees him perfectly yet, but there's a day coming where your ability to see Jesus will be just as clear as the man who was given sight on this day. And that's kind of the point of the miracle, is that God is doing a work where he's enabling us one day, when Jesus returns, to be able to see him in such a way we go, well, that's it. Jesus is who he says he is because he is who he says he is. That's what God's inviting you to, even this morning, to be able to experience something that is lasting, a real relationship with the risen Lord. And the good news is, is that he's inviting you to figure out how to both apply that to yourself and those around you. So for yourself, you know, if you read in this text, if you keep reading in chapter 8, Peter says, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? To Peter and his disciples. And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, because people are sort of riled up. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is, the category for what he's doing. They're struggling to put it together. John the Baptist had a lot of respect. People knew him. He had been killed. They were like, oh, maybe he's okay. And then Elijah, he's, you know, one of the prophets of prophets, right? So maybe it's Elijah, because when Elijah and Moses return, they're going to point to the Messiah. So maybe it's one of those. So the people are trying to cage who they think Jesus is and what it means for him to be who he is. And Jesus says, okay, that's what people are saying, but, but Peter, disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the deliverer. So they're beginning to see Jesus, right? Well, if you just keep reading, only in a couple verses, Jesus will say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because Peter is so far off on what it means to follow him. What's the point? Your place in the journey shifts and changes. You'll have seasons of really strong faith and seasons of weak faith. No matter where you are in that journey, God's grace for you is still abundantly present and accessible by coming to him. So for yourself, where are you? Are you someone who's struggling to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That's okay. God has grace for you. If you're someone who's experiencing a real fruit right now of God's love and his kindness toward you, celebrate that. Jesus celebrates it with you. But what would it mean for us to begin to understand this, this journey and the way this works as we think about others in our lives? Think about it as a husband and a wife for a moment, if you're married. What does it mean for me to understand this is a journey that everyone's on in the context of my marriage? You know what it means? When you are loving your wife and your husband, it, part of what it means is you begin to say this, where are they in their journey and how can I encourage them in that? Versus, how can I make her be the woman I think she's supposed to be? How can I make him be the man I think he's supposed to be? Yeah, for those of you who've been married more than a couple years, you realize how crazy that is, but we keep trying it. If you want to know how to make a marriage sing, this is the key. To begin to say, where is my spouse in their spiritual journey, and how can I encourage them in that? That doesn't mean being passive and quiet. What it means is, is your primary effort actually being to figure out how to love your spouse in such a way that it moves them along in the journey of accessing the only one who can really give life. No matter how well-behaved he is, it's still not going to be enough. Or what about in parenting? When you're loving your children, it is so easy to fall into this, especially when they're small because you kind of emphasize that a lot. What if the main goal of parenting isn't behavior modification? What if that's actually not the main goal? What if the main goal is to say, I want to see my kids see Jesus clearly. I'm bringing them. They're starting to come. They're seeing a little bit of Jesus. Lord, would you help them to see you clearly? Because one day they're moving out. 
and no amount of desire for behavior modification is going to matter. So it's not that it doesn't matter. It's just the main thing is that where are they on their journey of faith? And will you remember Jesus' patient grace for you in your journey and figure out how to be that kind of gracious and that expression of patience towards even your children? they got to marinate, just like all of us, in the grace of God or any relationship you have with anybody. If the, if the first thing is when someone offends you or hurts you, if you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to need to forgive them, but where are they in their journey of faith? How can I encourage them in that? What if the primary goal isn't to win? What if it's not all it's cracked up to be? Have you ever won? How do you feel? It doesn't last long, even if it was a really good win. Next year's Super Bowl, you won't even remember this one, or I won't. Some of you really hardcore football players might. Jesus is inviting us to understand the process of trusting him is a journey. It's a process. And God's grace is sufficient for us in the midst of that process. Okay, let me say this. So, thinking more about Super Bowl, let me just close this off. I'm really sad about the commercials. And they've already started releasing them. Have you noticed that? It's so weird. It's like, I thought you were supposed to wait till the Super Bowl, and that's kind of like the excitement because, you know, we finally have a fourth down, and they're going to do a commercial, and you're like, okay, cool, what's next, right? They're already revealing the commercials. And I saw this one by Jeep, because you know I like Jeeps. It's their 80th anniversary. Bruce Springsteen's there. And he talks about how there is a church, a chapel, in the center of the continental United States in Kansas. It's right dead in the center. And it's a chapel that's always open. I'm going to go see it now because I didn't know that was real. But you can always go there. It's always open. Everybody's welcome. And he goes on this like monologue. And there's some really great things said in it. One thing he says is that fear is not the best part of who we are. That's true. Fear is not the best part of who we are. We actually don't thrive living in light of fear. That's true. He also says this, that freedom is what connects us. Well, we talked about that a little bit earlier when Kyle was reading um, for our confession that, you know, ultimate freedom is not absolute freedom, right? You're absolutely free to take a jog down the middle of 45 going the wrong way with traffic. You are free to do it. It's not going to go well for you. That's not real freedom. Freedom unto life, not freedom unto tyranny. Like we're, we're saved for freedom unto trusting God's ways because his ways lead to life. So I don't jog down 45. He also says this. Our light has always found its way through the darkness. Okay. Now I love that. Because there's a lot of truth to it. But it very much depends on what light you're looking at. There are so many things in this world that promise to lead you through something. The only thing that can actually lead you to a place of being able to see God clearly. Of being able to understand his grace thoroughly of being able to able access what Jesus talks about when he says, my peace I leave with you. The only light that's going to lead you to see that is the one that everyone in Mark chapter 8 is trying to see, and it's the one that the blind man whose sight is restored is able to clearly see. And that's my prayer for us. You know, that we would be a people who more and more make as a primary central aspect of who we are the starting point to see who Jesus is, and then to live in light of it. Because in doing that, we find the kind of life that he promises is ours by grace and through faith. Okay? Let me pray for us. Father, this morning we hear your word. We read about these stories of the thousands being fed with the bread that you provide, of the disciples seeing all the leftover and the abundance, of the Pharisees asking the question about what is the real bread. And then we see this blind man who comes to you to find you. 
who follows you when you grab his hand and doesn't really know what's going to happen, but he trusts you. Who you begin to work in his life and he begins to see, and then eventually he sees clearly. And we're reminded that you are our bread. You are the bread from heaven. You're the one who offers us the ability to truly see who God is. And when we see that, it's not just beautiful. It's life-giving as we access the power of the resurrection. Would you increase our faith and enable us to see you even more clearly this week? This week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.